Hello and welcome to the People First podcast. Today we are happy to welcome back my huge the retired palliative care consultant that we interviewed in a live podcast we're recording a few months ago how a live interview got cut short so we wanted to have Mike back in to ask him some more questions. Could you explain what your job was? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question, Tom. And thank you for inviting me back. It's a pleasure to be here and to be with all of you wonderful people. I was a consultant in palliative care. I retired three years ago, so I can only just about remember what I did. But um, I can remember, because I did it for 30 years. I worked for four years in Kenya and then worked for 26 years at Manalan's Hospice and Airedale Hospital. And as a consultant, I provided medical input into the team. It's very much a team approach, palliative care. And we would help to look after people in the last few months, weeks, um, and sometimes days of people's lives. So they all had an illness from which they were dying. Um, but sometimes we looked after patients for months and years, and sometimes we just looked after patients just for a few days. Um, and I worked in, well, four different settings. One was at Manalan's Hospice. In the, we had an inpatient unit, so patients came in and stayed at the hospice. And then we had a community team, so we helped support patients at home and their families. We had a day therapy team, so people used to come in for the day. And then we uh, also partly worked in the hospital team, so there was a hospital palliative care team. So we provided support to people in the hospital as well. So all the settings where you might find patients. How can we make sure that people with learning disabilities are involved in talks about their end-of-life care? Thank you, Jane. That's a good question. (laughs) And it's a difficult question because... um, It's a bit of a taboo to talk about death and dying. People don't like it. It can upset you and upset people. And so people sometimes avoid it. And then people also sometimes avoid talking about learning disability because they find it difficult and don't know how to cope with it. So there's two issues that can make it difficult. But it it, it can be... Those difficulties can be overcome. Um, And the main thing is trying to talk openly and honestly 
with patients, families, um, and in a language that everyone can understand. Not everybody wants to talk about death and dying, so the first thing is finding out whether the patient wants to. What books would you recommend to help a person with disabilities to understand dying? Yep, thank you, Daniel. Another good question. There are many books out there. There's a whole legion of easy-read booklets on understanding cancer, understanding motor neuron disease, and then understanding death and dying, what happens when you die. Um, locally, at the conference we had, we had the librarian from Linfield Mount come. And they have a whole series of all those books and many more, which, which they're willing to loan out. There's an, some very useful websites. Um, the main one is it's called the Network of Palliative Care for People with Learning Disability, PCPLD. And they have a list of books and resources which they provide a link to on their page. So it's a very good website. The other way is just if you want an issue you want to just learn about is to discuss it with your GP, with your district nurse, with your learning disability team. And they, they should have access to the booklets and would be able to bring it to people. Are there concerns that family and caregivers should be aware of when planning for end-of-life care with people with learning disabilities? Yeah, there are things that families and carers, caregivers should know about. Um, obviously, one of the key things is the support that's available for them and for the patient. So we, we have the learning disability teams which can provide support. We have the palliative care team, um, either community or hospital, that can also provide support, um, as well as your GP and district nurses. Families and caregivers are just ordinary people and they can find it difficult to talk about death and dying or face the truth that something serious is happening. So, and they often have concerns about then talking about it with their family or clients with a learning disability. Um, so addressing those concerns are important and helping them to have the courage to be open and honest. If it's appropriate, it's, it's not always the right thing to talk about death and dying, but it's usually the right thing. So it's getting support, it's talking openly and honestly. A lot of the concerns families and caregivers have is how do I support my client, my relative at home, um, if that's where they want to be? Because most people want to die at home rather than be in hospital or anywhere else. So we can let the families and carers know what support they can have to address those concerns about how to keep people at home. How important is it that healthcare workers are trained to support people with learning disabilities? Thank you, Jane. That's another good question. I, I, I think it's very important. Most healthcare workers, they do meet people with learning disability, but not that often. So don't often feel they have the confidence to communicate and provide the right service for people with learning disabilities. 
So they need training to build up that confidence. And it's training in you know, ways of communicating with people. You know, not everybody's verbal, so you might have to use easy read booklets, you might have to use sign language, you might have to bring in someone to help you with the communication. And then there's something called making appropriate adjustments for people with learning disability. So if you go to your GP and you've got a five-minute appointment, if you've got a learning disability, you're likely to need more time than that to allow time for good communication. So you, people need to make that adjustment in their timetable. I always remember one patient who was absolutely terrified of going for a scan, um, a CT scan. And the CT scanning department at Airedale were brilliant. They let them come in and have a look round one day to get used to the place and gradually built up their confidence until they came back about a week later and had the scan. Um, but that's, that's the sort of adjustment that, we, that healthcare professionals need to make. But it's also healthcare professionals like the general public can make assumptions about people with learning disability that they won't understand, that they don't want to know, that you don't have to tell them things. All those assumptions are wrong. Um, so it's trying to train people to think people with learned learning disability are just like everybody else. We have our, you know, people want to know what's happening to them. And if they want to know, you should give them a chance to know. So we try and give people the skills to do that. What strategies are that to help people with learning disabilities cope with give and lost? Hey, thank you, Daniel. Another important question. Grief and loss is something that happens to everybody at some point in their life. And in one sense, a person with a learning disability is just like anybody else. The main thing is to talk. Talk openly, if possible, about the person that's died. Acknowledging how you're feeling, whether it be sad, angry, cross or numb. Some people just can't feel anything. But obviously, sometimes for people with learning disabilities, communication can be difficult. So it's helping people to communi express those feelings um, in a way that's not always verbal. So talking is the main strategy. Again, often when people have died and the relatives are there, then friends sometimes avoid seeing them because they don't know what to say. But the important thing is just to say something and, and let the, the person who's been bereaved give them the chance to talk about things if they want to. But, and most people can cope just with talking, but some people need extra help. So you might need a social worker to come and talk to you about it. You might need the learning disability nurse. You might need a counsellor. There are specialist bereavement counsellors. And the other area is around grief and loss and is... Sometimes, like if you're living in a group home and one of your friends dies, you might not be close relative, but it still affects you. And it affects the staff in the, in the home. And it's making sure that that's talked about and not just hidden, hidden away. Do you have any stories you can share from your time as a palliative care consultant? Yeah, there's many stories I could tell. But there was just one I was thinking of. Um, we had a, a well, a young woman. She was in her middle 20s. Um, and she had a young daughter and a husband. But she was dying from cancer in the hospice. 
And one of the nurses was talking to her one day and found out that she loved Eddie Stobart lorries. So I, one of the things I feel proud of is I, I wrote an email to Eddie Stobart and said, is there any chance a lorry could come and visit our patient? <laughs> and amazingly, they, they wrote back and said, yes, no, we'd be pleased to do that. So we had this great big lorry come up to the hospice, park outside, and the patient went, met the driver, got up into the van with, with her own daughter and had some really wonderful photographs and it created brilliant memories for the patient and family. So it's a lot of what, what we do in, our, in palliative care and hospice is it's a big lot of medical care, but a lot of it is spiritual care and finding out what's important to people and helping them achieve those goals if possible. Yeah, patients often have bucket lists, don't they? We had a farmer once who, who wanted to see his favourite sheep before he died. <laughs> so we had the sheep come to the hospice. So there's, there's lots of things which are important to different people. What was your favourite part of working as a palliative care consultant? There's several aspects of the job I loved. The two main things, one was the team I worked with. You know, I worked with nurses, social workers, chaplains, cooks, um, cleaners, administrators, fundraisers. And it was really wonderful just being part of a team and working with so many different people. And then I always felt very privileged meeting patients and their families. Because you know, people, births is a very important part in people's lives that people always remember. And death is the same. You know, if we can help someone have a good death, it helps the family to live on and, and, and have a better life after the person has died. And I always felt privileged to share the stories with patients and with families. And you became quite close to people in a short period, really. And they talked about fears and, and hopes in a way that you don't have in normal conversation when you meet people in the pub. <laughs> it was very intense at times, but very, I learned a lot from my patients and families. What are your hopes for end-of-life care for people with learning disabilities moving forward? I think end-of-life care for people with learning disabilities has improved a lot over the last 10, 20 years. The, the, the national network has, has provided a lot of training across the country and really changed people's attitudes. So training learning disability nurses about palliative care, training GPs, district nurses, palliative care nurses about how to care for people with learning disability. And I think people are much more open and honest and people with learning disabilities are accessing care in a much better way than they used to because people with learning disabilities have always struggled to get access to GPs, to hospitals, to hospices but I think that is improving and obviously my hope for the future is that will carry on improving and that it will just be accepted as normal um, but it, the, there's still a lot of adjustments we need to make and learning how to communicate these difficult issues with people with learning disability and 
their patient, their families is is the biggest hurdle, I think. But we only get better if we try, I think. If people went to get other information about when we have take about her called they get it. Yeah. So where could we get information about the sort of things we've been talking about? In a way, I've mentioned it earlier, that you know, a lot of the, the, the um, palliative care for people with learning disability network is a very good resource for, for information, easy read leaflets on these issues. Um, but some people prefer to talk to someone. So there's the learning disability in locally. There's a learning disability nurses in Keithley and Bradford that are always happy to talk about these issues. Um, as I mentioned before, the Limfield Mount has a good library, an easy read library, and it includes issues around serious illness and death and dying. And then you've all a good source of information is just talking to your friends, your family, your GP, your learning disability nurse. And they, they can always point you in the, in the right direction if there's specific issues you want to talk about. Thanks for and of out questions today. Thank for coming on the show again, Mike. We hope you have joined the city out studio and asking some other questions we think the show how help out understand your role and planning of for there other is there anything else you would like to add before we sign off. Yeah, oh, I'd like to thank you all for inviting me. It is such an important subject to discuss. Yeah. And this is just the starting point, really. Yeah. And you just need to carry on discussing and accessing support as and when you need it. And I think what you're doing here at People First is wonderful. So please carry on the good work. Remember to like, share, and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find it by searching for the Paper First Podcast. Thanks for listening.